Hello there, welcome to UX Maturity. This is a podcast where we have conversations about the ins and outs of being a designer in tech. This is episode 49, and I am your co-host Susan. And I'm your co-host Sandrine. If you like our podcast, please write and review us on your podcast platform. And uh, if you want to follow us for updates, mostly updates about when we publish uh, new episodes, uh, but also any other updates, especially for between seasons, then you can follow us on LinkedIn, where we are UX Maturity, as well as Twitter, where we are at UX underscore maturity. Okay, uh, so we've spent the last two episodes uh, deep diving into the designer role as a, as a theme, and uh, today we're going to probably close close our little trio of episodes on the designer role by having a pretty, I think it's going to be quite a meandering, nice, nice meandering, unstructured uh, chat about things we do as designers, or some of us do as designers, that are beyond the um let's call them core or fundamental ux skills and ui skills uh so i suppose a, a good place to start is uh, i'm curious about uh, you sandrine what are some things you do at work design things you do at work that aren't necessarily just the kind of you know the fundamental ux and ui design stuff but other design things you do <laughs> Oof, that was <laughs> uh sure um let me have a, a think so at the moment i, I guess i've had a, a few a few roles now uh throughout my career and they've all kind of differed on that on that level and that kind of depended on how the design function was structured and whether there was I guess added functions to not to support, but kind of um, live a, around the design function itself. So uh, functions like research, for example, or content. And um, when you when I worked with smaller structures, structures at times there were no such thing as a, a research department or a content design department, for example. So. Uh, it, it really depended on the company structure. At the moment, uh, we are in where I'm currently working. We have a research function, so we we really nicely spoiled with this, and we have a kind of a a copywriting uh, function. I would say, I yeah. So they're not calling themselves content design; it's copywriting, which is slightly different, I guess, on on some aspects. Um, but interestingly, though, I still pick up some of those research and copywriting content skills um, from time to time, just because sometimes just the, the research department is quite stretched, for example. So we have to we just have to run the research ourselves in my team, because otherwise uh, we just wouldn't be able to to, to get things done. And obviously we do this with a lot more collaboration with the research team, but um, we're still running the research ourselves. So I guess that's one of this extra curriculum type of uh, <laughs> responsibilities that, that can add on. And same with copywriting as well. Uh, content design, I guess, kind of, yeah, kind of really defining how do we talk about something? What words do we use? What information should be there? And often that is quite often actually a role that I take on as well. Uh, I find that the content design department is more of a rare thing 
still these days. I think some big structures would definitely have them, but you are less likely to come across them in smaller startups. Um, so yeah. What about you, Susan? Have you, have you worked a lot with content design and research departments as well? Uh, yeah, similar, similar to you. It's, it's, um, it's whether or not I've worked with separate departments that handle those <laughs> beyond UX and UI uh, design disciplines, skills, sub sub disciplines, sub skills. Um, whether or not I've been in those situations where we had departments for them really differed on. I guess the common de denominator has been the size of the company. So the bigger the company I've been in, the more likely I've had uh, either a user research department or a content strategy department uh, or um, uh, or content design, not content design department. I don't think I've ever had content design as its own department. <laughs> um, but yeah, bigger companies I've, I've uh, worked in have, has tended to have um, higher specialists designers for each of these different type of uh, design disciplines. And then, of course, uh, as you say, in, in smaller smaller companies in, in startups it's been more common that the designer has been uh, well on paper uh, a generalist um, but uh, it, it really I think it really depends also on who who heads up the design function so I've been in very small companies where one of the first design hires actually was a content designer um, and I, I think it. I don't think there's a right and wrong to how you approach this, and I, and I definitely don't want this, this, uh, this topic to be uh, a question of, you know, is content design also UX, or is, you know, like what falls under the UX umbrella, what falls under the UI umbrella. It's more of a question of um, which subdisciplines of design do you do you focus on and do you prioritize? Because of course. All the subdisciplines have value, but um, we don't have endless amount of money when we build a design team. So you need to look at what you need. Um, so yeah, I've worked with in small companies with other content designers as well, and also in relatively small startups with uh, dedicated user researchers. Uh, but also, I've been I've been in a position where all the designers, including myself, was responsible for UX and UI, which is sort of what you expect, but also for content design and for doing user research and um, and and in a less explicit way for also doing service design if if that was actually what we did so uh, designing things like uh, uh, back office experiences and uh, supplier experiences and uh, kind of experiences for a much wider range of touch points and audiences and user groups uh, uh, than in other types of, of situations like where where the user group is a bit more contained for example oh god I, sh I felt like I did a disservice in, in trying to explain service design I apologize um uh but yeah designing services as well with every all the complex extra complexities uh that entails what do you see as the pros and cons uh of having uh, dedicated designers focusing on different specialisms uh, versus uh, versus having designers pick up uh, different types of responsibilities across the design sub-disciplines? Yep, that's a good question. Um, I would say a big 
big, big pro for splitting specialism or at least, yeah, splitting those functions is that you would have much more dedicated time for each of them. So I don't know if you've had that experience, but obviously when you uh, are a product designer and you have to also run research, it adds probably quite a few weeks um, of work and of um, it extends your, your timeline for each project, obviously by quite a consequent amount of time, which in the meantime, you can't really use for um, designing or, you know, working on, on resolving problems because yeah, you're busy interviewing, doing research, setting it up, which is all very time consuming. And you also often, I'm actually kind of focusing on research right now, but you also don't really have um, dedicated time to set up research, for example, in a better way. So for example, you won't have anyone dedicated to planning a research roadmap or I don't know, creating a research panel, for example, you won't get a chance to work on all of these things. The structure of how you document research will also probably be all over the place because each obviously individual designer is trying to do what they can to make sure that research does get run, which is obviously the most fundamental thing, right? It's the the thing that must happen. But um, beyond that, if you're a big team and you're becoming bigger, obviously you're going to you're gonna need more processes around how research gets done and, and all that. So I think that's where it becomes really valuable to have that special skill set on the sides so they can actually fully focus on this thing and then support. It doesn't mean that as a product designer, you should be completely detached from research if you have a researcher. Um, you should still be involved in um, you know research planning if you can and contribute to interviews if you can as well this is extremely important for you to still have um you know being able to be in touch with your users i yeah i never lose um the opportunity to to do that even though i have researchers working with me but at least that they do take a lot of the legwork away from you and they can also advise on, you know, what's the best methodology. They can also run interviews in a much more expert way uh, because it's it takes a lot of skills to run a really good, thorough interview. So, so yeah, so you get more quality, I guess, um, in that sense. It does, I guess, goes to cons sometimes that sometimes it adds more process, therefore more friction, therefore can also take longer. Uh, so I guess you can't win on every front. Um, so because obviously there's a separate team, there's yeah a little bit more back and forth to get things set up. Um, they may not have priority for your team because obviously they're not just dedicated to your project and your team and, and so forth, unless you have a researcher that is only on your squad, if you're, if you're very lucky to, to have that. Um, so yeah, I guess pros is more, more quality and yeah, more process gets in place and cons, I guess, is that process can also get in the way. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, you have to, you have to pick what, 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 what suits your needs most. If you're, if you're in a very small, uh, infrastructure and you, you need to just move on fast, um, one is probably going to be better than the other, but, but yeah, um, what's your view on this? Actually, do you, I don't know. I, I'm wondering if there's more cons that I haven't really thought about, but, but yeah. 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 I think, yeah, I, I uh, align with that. It's uh, to massively oversimplify it. It um, turns into, uh, turns into a question of quality versus speed in some ways, you know, when you have dedicated people to do 
Uh, oh, one thing we didn't, sorry, this is becoming a mess, but uh, uh, I'm seeing more and more design systems, um, specific designer roles as well pop up uh, or has been popping up uh, the last few years. So there's some, so there's in addition to uh, like actually the, the craft of design, like content design, UX design, user research, there's also designers focus, focusing more on the uh, operations around uh, around making design happen as well. So design systems folk designers, research operations focused designers or ops folk, research ops folks uh, and so on. So yeah, um, just to sneak that in. Um, but yeah, there. if there are other cons to um, having specialist people, one thing that I stew on a little bit is when when you have different people focusing on different specialisms, um, Rarely do I see that all of those people are full-time in a product team, in a cross-functional product team. So I, I don't think I've ever experienced having, being in a team with a, a full-time product designer or UX designer and UI designer, plus a full-time content designer, plus a full-time user researcher. I don't think that's ever happened. And and um, and that is, I think, often because you don't have a one-to-one a uh, relationship between you know you don't have one user researcher to one product designer across a company so often the more specialist people there are fewer of them in a company and they become a shared quote unquote shared resource <laughs> we all hate calling people resources but you know they become a shared almost like a free agent that roams across multiple teams and helps out with user research where it's needed and things like that and um, to add to your point about how it maybe makes things a bit slower um i think it also reduces the likelihood that um a, a specific product team has uh, has everything they need for example in terms of content or insights or um uh, research operations or whatever it is uh, it reduces the likelihood that that team has all of all of the things they need at exactly the time they need it like sometimes there's a bit of lag in the system uh, because the people permanently on a team or full-time on a team um, don't have, for example, they, they don't carry with them the user insights throughout the process. They kind of, they're dependent on, on a semi-external person to bring that to them. And so in in that sense, I guess one side of that argument is that that team isn't fully empowered. They don't have they're not empowered with all the information or the content or the insights or the tools they need to to execute on their objectives or whatever it is they're trying to do. Yeah, that's a very good point. I I agree and I think it's a bit it's almost it was now thinking about it, it almost feels counterproductive because the reason you split is to make sure that you have I mean I guess you, you split to have more quality and, and so forth, but it's also to make sure that you can also dedicate your product designer to actual just pure product design work and then you know you have the resources around to also support that work when needed and yeah the fact that often as you said it's it's you have these uh, researchers or content designer would kind of yeah sit around as free agents they won't have a full dedicated focus so then yeah they might slow down teams just because they have a lot on their pipeline by no means obviously therefore it's because there has there's a yeah, there's just too much to do and they can't cater for every team's needs. And yeah, it feels a bit counterintuitive because in that case, then often the product designer goes back to actually just running the, the research themselves or do the content design themselves. 
simply because yeah there's these additional departments can't obviously uh cater for the needs at the moment so yeah it, it, it feels almost like you're flipping back to the original status <laughs> even though you have these functions around yeah yeah, it, it, exactly that. And and I think part of the <laughs> part of the challenge, which is it is a challenge because it's very difficult to do, but part one way of solving this <laughs> I'm going to make this sound easier than it is. Um one way of approaching this challenge is to um is to give these more specialists uh, more in demand but less full-time design people so for example a content designer or user researcher um, to give them the space to become enablers of their specialism rather than just uh, outputting uh, outputting output into a team so that was a very fuzzy way of saying okay I'll use an example um, so say you have a shared content designer across multiple teams what I've observed is that that content designer gets um, very stretched uh, and uh, gets that person gets very busy when uh, the content designer isn't given the opportunity or the space to build up systems and operationalizing content design so that the teams can almost almost self-serve content design for example by creating taxonomies uh, of oh this is how we this is how we talk about the the product almost like a design system for content um uh, often what i see is, is um these specialisms just they they're almost they're not firefighting but they're they're kind of bouncing around teams uh, helping teams out um, when it's needed and a bit more reactive um, and that's that's not the fault of any one person it's just um, startups being startups sometimes um, and the same with uh, user research um, so I've also worked in in companies which had content designers and user researchers and design systems people who were dedicated to building those systems and operationalizing their discipline so that they could enable product teams so when I say product teams I mean cross-functional teams with typically a designer, product designer, and maybe a product manager and some engineers and some other disciplines. Um, not a product department, that's not the, in the, what I mean in this context. Um, uh, so, so that those product teams have uh, systems, as I say, and tools available to them to uh, draw from the expertise that, um, for example, a content designer or user researcher um, has. Uh, yeah, it's, it's very challenging though because often you have lots of priorities which which is what, what's the term a paradox or an oxymoron are you like you can't have 10 priorities and nothing is prioritized the company or the teams have lots of priorities and you have uh, little time and and building up these um building up these systems do take a lot of time um and and in those, it, it's it's the same challenge a lot of us face when we start from zero design system and we recognize the need to have a design system and the task seems so big and so complex and it's like oh my gosh where do we start and then we just keep putting it off and instead of systematizing our buttons we just we just create one-off buttons or new buttons and we're quite reactive to creating buttons instead of you know operationalizing okay this is our system for buttons and I think that's the same for yeah, for example, user research. So no one has the time to sit down and creating templates for different types of uh, interview scripts or usability testing scripts or methodologies for user research. And so you, you're being quite reactive in, oh, we need to do around user interviews. Okay, let's, let's create a new 
template from scratch like you don't have a system to pull it um to pull it from so yeah easier said than done <laughs> just just systematize it <laughs> just operationalize it. it's easy <laughs> yeah so easy <laughs> yeah so so to that point <laughs> i suppose can you can you think of some common examples they don't have to be very specific examples but some common examples in your day-to-day -day design work where you felt like you could have really benefited from from having almost like a playbook or or like a how-to guide on or or almost like a pool database of or a library of how to do this design specialism or how to do uh, I don't know accessibility or uh, uh, surveys or you know um, so you don't have to figure it out on the spot as a reaction to an imminent need that someone what are some common examples where you uh, felt like oh my gosh it would have been so good if someone else had had dedicated focus to figure out how to set up this design thing I need to do now that someone else has tried and failed and learned and optimized how to do this specific design thing so I can just learn take take their learnings and go forth and execute <laughs> and use yeah um I don't know if I have a specific example but I remember often feeling that way when I have a problem to discover but I know exactly how to get the information and then I would really like to rely on um a researcher for example that has the expertise as to how we could extract that kind of information should it be a survey should it be a bunch of interviews should be interviews with a prompt and a proof of concept to spark conversation should it be just uh i don't know uh jobs to be done kind of interviews and so forth and i find that often that's when um that yeah, yeah you can just see me googling and trying to find answers as to how do i get that information where's the best methodology it's luckily happening a bit less now with a bit more experience but in my early days I definitely had that quite a lot and yeah I mean obviously Google is always your friend right so you can always um, find those answers but it's never the same as having an expert at hand that you know is reliable and you can trust and has done it before you can ask questions and, and all of that um, luckily there's tons of mentors you can reach out to these days so you can always try to find information like that um, but yeah, uh, actually, I, I remember one day needing probably to investigate uh, jobs to be done. And I had never done jobs to be done research before. So I was okay, like interviews for that kind of research are quite particular and you have to kind of um, ask specific questions and target specific type of, of people. And I had absolutely no clue exactly how to start. So obviously I, you know, bought the book about which was a great place to start but it's never the same again as having someone who's as you said trialed everything done their bunch of mistakes have done it before can do it again and yeah so I think for research has been super handy for me to also have access to a research team I've experienced that a bit less with content design I would say um, maybe because I haven't worked in such big structures where we needed really extended taxonomy and that sort of thing. Um, so I guess I just, I'm just lacking of experience um, in that regard. But I, it, it's come up every now and then of like being like, oh, like, you know, 
what kind of research could we do to kind of figure out uh, what is the best way to talk about this thing and then how to test in a variety of ways to call this thing and I guess um, you know it, it again it goes back a bit to research here of like figuring out how do we test this thing and how do we learn about this and blah 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 um, but yeah I've experienced it a bit less with content design uh, than with research but but yeah yeah, it's it's. I, I really find it interesting that you said um, that you read a book on on jobs to be done, uh, because I guess a lot of these things are so generalizable that you can write a book on it, and that's what a lot of people do, and that's what a lot of designers like us do to learn. So you know, it's, er, earlier in my career, I'd read a lot about yeah user research or or design systems or. Um, uh, product validation techniques and all of these things like the sort of like to fill the gaps in my design skills spectrum diagram thingamabob um and and so and so I guess it's easy to say oh well you know do you really need people can't you just like read books on it uh, which which you can to a certain extent and it gets you to a certain point uh but then the other challenge is um uh, often what you need from specific design disciplines is a certain percentage of generic uh, information. So, for example, this is how you write good content or this is how you do user interviews or this is how you recruit participants or this is how you design good forms. And then the re remaining percentage is is quite specific to your product and your users Um so, for example, if you work in a in a field with very difficult to recruit users, um, then then a lot of the yeah a lot of the tips and advice in in books, for example, might not be applicable to you. So, uh, let's take an example that is not something I've done recently, but many 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 years ago, my primary target audience were what are they called? High net worth individuals. Um, so people with a lot of money uh, to invest. Um, and they were very, very difficult uh, to to find and to talk to. And, and there's a there's a way you need to approach research and gathering insights in, in those situations where where your target user isn't, you know, millennial who likes to shop online, but is a very, very specific user group. And and in those cases, it does help to have someone in-house who's spent time familiarizing themselves with the product, with the users, with how we talk to those users, how we find them, how we design for them, who can have those, yeah, the playbooks or the operations, the systems, uh, all the setups for you to to know that, ah, okay, I need to talk to a high net worth uh, individual group. Uh, here's someone who's spent energy figuring out this problem so that I can learn from that. Um, so that, that's the benefit of having people in-house as well. And uh, in addition to learning more generally about it through things like books and talks and conferences and stuff like that. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I was wondering how much time, I guess, or how much, <laughs> how much do you dedicate to grow your those skills that are sitting slightly outside the core UX and UI skill sets, how much do you dedicate all your time to, for example, learn more about um, how you run research or how to write more effective contents? Like, is that part of your growth? Have, has it ever been part of your growth objectives? Like, do you concentrate on those skills or 
do you tend to focus more on the actual core skill set of the product design that designer yeah that's i think this is a very personal thing so i'm just going to speak for myself but i think maybe people can relate a bit i earlier in my career uh this is going to sound incredibly logical as I talk through it, but I'm just going to say it anyway. Earlier in my career, of course, um, I wasn't very experienced in doing UX design and even less experienced in, the UI, in doing UI design. So I spent more time finessing and learning uh, core UX and UI design skills. Uh, but And I think this felt very natural to me. It wasn't something I had to think very carefully about. I, I reached a certain point after a number of years focusing on UX and UI design skills, I reached a certain point where my performance object, personal development, professional development goals, I can't remember what they're called, but you know, those, those things you talk to your manager about. (laughs) Uh, My goals became more around number one, identifying which broader design disciplines I wanted to learn more about. Uh, What, and, and that was, um, well, that was a mix of mix of um, uh, looking at what the wider design team and that company needed and a product team needed, but also also what I was personally interested in doing. Uh, and I, I found myself naturally gravitating towards content, um, which I have a big passion for, I think. Uh, and I think I'm, it's, it's safer, even though English is my third language, it's safer to have me design content than to have me design visuals. <laughs> like it's, just, it's just a better, it's, it's a better decision to have me design content. Um, and that's not because I think content design is more important than visual design. It's just what I, where I find my interests and passions gravitate towards. Um, and then I found myself also gravitating towards things like research operations. So I I guess because my background was in psychology, I did a lot of research at university. Um, So user research I felt pretty comfortable with. But then the next very specialized step after that was, okay, how do I operationalize user research? So it becomes easier, not just for me to do user research and know where the consent form is and know how to store data and delete data and all of that and record and all that stuff. But for other people in my team and in the company to do that as well easily and just pick those tools up and and, and go do it. Um, So that became something I naturally gravitated towards as well. And how much time I spent? Uh, hmm, I don't know. I don't know. I guess... It's because it became so organic, I guess it became like I, I found ways of doing those things and developing those skills in my day to day work. So it was never, of course, 100 percent of my time, but probably like 20 percent of my time, something like that. Yeah. How about you? How do you how do you balance that kind of like doing what you're you know, you're expert in and then learning new things that are related to what you're already expert in? Yeah, on my side, I've been. I, I a bit like you I've been doing mostly learning by doing so especially early on when I had no clue how to run research or I was doing my first usability testing and I was the only designer so there was no nowhere else around to help me I had to figure out how to how to just run these things how to run those research doing my first interviews on my own just yeah intensely googling everything and just praying that everything will go as planned (laughs) 
And yeah, it was mostly just learning, making mistakes, learning and trying to spot, you know, whether I asked a question that is, uh, you know, too, too close, to, for example, these sort of things, reflecting on each interview. And I still kind of do that today when I still lead research. I kind of still reflect on how the interview went from an interviewer perspective. Like, how did I do? Did I get the information that I wanted to extract? Did I put the person at ease? Could I get to the bottom of the problem or like you know could I really extract all of that info that they had and uh, sometimes I just come to a conclusion that I could have done a lot better and often I can point to a few things that I just didn't do very well so I'm like okay next time I'm just gonna try to address these things so I try to just kind of do that I would say that's mainly what I do with these type of yeah outside I guess, more specialized skills. Otherwise, I tend to mostly focus on uh, more, I guess, kind of product thinking and this kind of thing, because this is where more I, or design process and this sort of thing, because that's more where I'm, I'm really, um, really interested to grow in and understand more. Um, but yeah, I think learning by doing on those things are, are super helpful, especially since... Um, Sometimes we find ourselves in a role where we don't have support, so we have to run them by ourselves. And it's it's really important to, yeah, just not be too afraid of trying it out. It's okay if you make mistakes. You just, yeah, you'll learn from it. You'll do better next time and so forth. I, I guess that's the same thing with everything else. But it's particularly true with research, etc. So, so, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm definitely also a learning by doing person. And I love what you say about how, you know, you're going to make mistakes and that's how you learn because uh, part of this growth, if you if you approach this, you know, with a growth mindset, um, part of it is to, to accept and acknowledge that you're going to be quite novice, novel, N novice. You're going to be quite new. <laughs> you're going to be quite new to whatever you're trying to learn that you haven't done much of before. Um, and and part of the challenge, and, and for me, sometimes a discomfort that I just need to face is that um, I need to accept that, yes, I might be more expert in certain design skills, for example, kind of core UX stuff. Maybe I'm a eight out of 10 or nine out of 10 or whatever. And as I'm learning something new, for example, design systems or, or I don't know, uh, very, very uh, advanced content design or something like that. I'm for that, those particular skills, I'm dropping down to a one out of 10 and two out of 10. And, and when you feel like most of your role, you're expert in something, and then you do other things as part of your role that you're not an expert in but the work you do does matter because you're learning by doing you're not just it's not just a test run you are you are doing usability testing that has impact on the product or you are writing content or creating content that has that actually ends up in production and it's not going to be as great in the beginning um part of the challenge is to kind of expect <laughs> well it's called part of the challenge is to accept that you're not going to be expert all the time. You're not as expert in ev everything you do in your designer role um, as you learn. But I don't know. This is, again, one of those things where it sounds logical when I say it, but that's not a design-specific thing. I think that's just work. <laughs> that's just, everyone goes through yeah. this. Or life. Life. <laughs> yeah. 
All right, that rounds off our episodes about the designer role. Um, let's move on to what we are grateful for this week. What what uh, what are you grateful for this week? Um, <laughs> not very very grateful uh, this week, but I will. I, I am sure I can find something I am grateful for. This is often when you should really reflect on on gratitude things. I I have been feeling quite quite tired and fatigued lately. I think uh, probably been overstretching myself a bit. So I am very grateful that I have uh, a long weekend coming up where I'm going to be able to rest up. And yeah, I'm grateful grateful for that. Grateful for having some time to myself. And yeah, I will I will leave it there. Hopefully, I will have more gratitudes to give next week once I will feel replenished. <laughs> What about you? <laughs> Oof, I, uh, I wish you good replenishment. <laughs> um, I'm, oh, I'm gonna, I feel like all my gratitude reflections are a bit cheesy, but I'm very grateful for fantastic neighbors. Um, I think it's because having lived in a very big city for many years, I sort of, I sort of accepted that. Um, you know what comes with big cities that people come and go there are so many there's so many people around you so you don't um, to kind of protect your energy you don't form close relationships and with people as you do in a small community because there's just so many people people are often renting temporarily and so on it's just the nature of big cities and so when I come across really fantastic neighbors and neighbors in that kind of quintessential neighbor neighbor way <laughs> kind of like <laughs> if I say great neighbors then you know what comes up in your mind and when when that happens it's kind of like oh my gosh wow you can you can still form great neighbor neighborhood neighbor relationships uh, even if you live in a big city and uh, if if you're lucky like like we are and uh, yeah it's just it's great I'm I'm very grateful for for it to it for it it sounds like a very rare thing to have in London as well, so that's very nice. <laughs> yes. And I'm and I'm extra grateful that um, so we have over fifty house plants, and that's not an exaggeration. I think there are maybe approaching sixty. And one of the things that keep me up at night, this is a luxury problem, is what do we do with our plants when we're away? For example, <laughs> so just knowing that we have someone next door who can come plant our. Uh, water our plants um it's just so nice to think about oh. um all right okay so that was uh episode 49 and uh, i found it very nice and meditative to talk about um yeah just things we do or things we need as designers beyond the core uh design skills uh, as part of our roles um yeah nice to reflect on um, thanks so much for listening. Please follow us on Twitter at, at UX underscore maturity or LinkedIn, where we are also UX maturity for updates on new episodes. Thank you and see you next week.